the Market Research Podcast Award is back, and it's time to nominate your favorite kick-ass market research podcast for a chance to win the coveted title of MR Podcast of the Year. Nominations are open now through June 30th, and voting will open from July 1st to August 1st. The winner will be announced at Insights Marketing Day on September 28th. Make your nominations today at littlebirdmarketing.com slash MR hyphen podcast hyphen award. Will your favorite Insights podcast make the cut? Welcome to the Mind State Marketing Hour, the podcast for business owners like you who want to learn about behavioral science and how it can transform your marketing and drive more business. This unique concept comes from Will Leach, author of Marketing to Mind States, and co-host Steve Brown, the author of The Golden Toilet. Every week, they bring you the latest in behavioral science-based marketing to uncover practical, real-world methods to designing marketing that compels your customer to listen, care, and act. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the Mind State Marketing Hour podcast. With that, let's get into this week's show. And we're live. It's the Mind State Marketing Hour. We're live with our favorite scientist, Will Leach. We've got a, a guest in the house, RT. RT will introduce you in a minute. We're going to run some uh, intro stuff along with the music. I'm in a different location. But the show must go on. It's the Mindstay Marketing Hour. We're live with Will Nietzsche's, our favorite behavioral scientist, with RT Custer, CEO of Ford Vortic Watch Company. And he runs a mastermind. He's our guest today. We're going to pick his brain. We're going to, this is an ambush. We didn't tell you, RT, RT this is an ambush interview. We're going to learn from you. No, we're going to be nice. We're going to have fun. Will, how are you? Hey, doing pretty good today. It's a beautiful day in Dallas, Texas. Where are you, Steve? You look a little bit different in the background there. What's going on? Well, I'm at a mastermind thing in Park City, Utah this nice. week. So I, I stepped out to have this conversation. I'm in the top floor of this big six-room six cabin. We got There's six of us here. So we're having a great mastermind uh, workshop session, and I'm inspired, having fun. But I, uh, I was excited to pull out of here and sit and have a con convo with you guys. Yes, me too, me too. Well, RT Custer, thank you very much for joining the show, the Mindset Marketing Hour. Um, Steve, do you want do you want to do a quick introduction of, of RT and yeah, then let to. RT talk about his life? That's what I'm most interested in, is is talking about his life, entrepreneurship, masterminds, and all things in between. So I had RT on my podcast. I don't know. It's been about a year, maybe a year and a half. Yeah, it's been a while. But I I learned about RT when I, I like watches, and he he's got this cool company that takes uh, watches, and he he I don't want to mess it up, but he rehabilitates them, and they're beautiful, one of a kind pieces. And so I was learning about it, but then found out he had an agency as well but he also it i'm into learning about setting up communities and so he's got a mastermind that he does also and so we had a great conversation on my podcast 
And so the other day when I was thinking, who would be a great guest for the Mindset Marketing Hour? And RT came to mind. So RT, welcome to the Mindset Marketing Hour. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Will. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I, I think you did a, I think you did a great job explaining, but um, at a high level, Vortic Watch Company, we take antique American pocket watches and turn them into one of a kind wrist watches. Um, and, you know, since we're, since we're on video, um, we're taking pocket watch, turn it into a wristwatch. Oh, That's what I we do. Um, and yeah, it's just the coolest business. I feel so blessed. I get to run, I think the, one of the coolest American small businesses and, um, something that has a story to not only every single product, but everything that we put in it. So yeah, having a blast. And then, um, like you said, I also run a mastermind called fast foundations and it's for entry level entrepreneurs. And so that's like my give back. Um, I love helping people just getting started because a lot of people helped me when I was just getting started. And in some ways I still feel like I am just getting started. So, um, it's, it's the journey. Amen. Amen. Well, RT, you know, you've, you've talked a little bit about, you know, two of your companies, but I was fortunate enough to kind of go back in time a bit, learn a little bit more about you. And uh, you, you have quite a, 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 an interesting career path. And I'm not even sure if we can call it a path. As it could be even a shotgun uh, blast. But why don't you just quickly tell the audience like a little bit about yourself, where you're at right now, but ultimately like kind of tell us a little bit of the story about how and where you got like today, how you got there, I guess. What was that path like? Totally. So um, we, we go way back. Um, I grew up on a Christmas tree farm in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a, a town called Reading, Pennsylvania, about an hour and a half west of Philadelphia. And my great grandfather started that Christmas tree farm in 1941. And that was the side hustle of the family for basically every generation since. Um, Christmas trees and running a small farm. We had 40 acres was never going to be a huge business. And so pretty much everyone in my family had another full-time job, but I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and uh, a family who were entrepreneurs and full-time corporate workers. You know, my grandfather worked for the state of Pennsylvania. He had a doctorate in forestry from Duke. So um, just a wealth of knowledge in entrepreneurship and in literally trees. <laughs> um, and then, and then my, my dad and my mom, were were both um, long long term in their entire career was in marketing and advertising um, for for big companies, and and so I grew up around that. I learned how to sell Christmas trees at a really early age. Learned how to manage a business. Um, learned how to talk to people. Learned how to tell stories with marketing. Um, and then you know I think my my parents saw me playing with Legos a bunch, and I thought they were like, oh maybe you should be like an architect or an engineer. So I, I went into um, I went into engineering at Penn State, um, one of the best engineering schools in the country. So I feel blessed to have grown up in in Pennsylvania and 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 got um, a really inexpensive and extremely good education. Studied industrial engineering with a minor in leadership and entrepreneurship, and um, graduated. Ended up working for the world's largest retailer um, and for for Walmart. Um, they they put me in logistics, which is the world's largest logistical problem to solve. And so that was the coolest job ever. Um, I had a $25 million capital budget when I was 21, right out of college. Um, and I was putting in robotic systems and um, automated storage and retrieval systems in distribution centers that were built basically when I was born. And that was really cool. Did that for two years. 
And along the way, had this really good idea to take pocket watches and turn them into wristwatches with my business partner, Tyler Wolf. Um, we had the idea in college, actually, at Penn State. Um, and then when I moved out here to Colorado for my corporate job with Walmart, um, we started a watch company outside. And here I am. That was, I mean, that was 10 years ago. So <laughs> I run Vortec Watch Company and um, we make the coolest watches on planet Earth right here in Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, that's a that's a big that's a big variety of things to work with your hands and be smelling that the Christmas trees. I love that smell. I when I was a kid, I was at my grandparents' cabin up in New Mexico, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so that there's something about that smell that's so energizing. You wake up in the morning, you go outside, and then you you get this energy not from coffee, but from the fresh air and the scents of that. But where in the world, why in the world did you decide, hey, let's take these pocket watches and rehabilitate them? Did you love to take watches apart and make them look cool? What was the origin, the origin story there? Tyler and I had a bunch of ideas out on the golf course at Penn State one day when we were, uh, let's see, I was maybe a junior, maybe a sophomore. I don't remember. It was like 2011. Um, and and we we had all these ideas around watches um he was a watch guy he, he was collecting like timexes and, and just cool uh vintage watches at the time um i had i think one watch to my name at that time but i'm i'm a nerd like i love engineering i love how it's made i love history um my last name's custer so i love military history my dad i think has the second largest collection of, of books on on general custer um in the country and so like i just grew up around around all that history and and um we were both passionate about made in USA. And so we said, okay, we have all these ideas around watches. Um, before we try to figure out how to make one, can we make it in America? Cause this is, like I said, 2011 to 2013, as we were kind of building the ideas for the business and, and getting started. And that was, I think the heyday of using made in USA for marketing. People still do today. And obviously, you know, it's great to have things made in USA, but back in that time, everyone was talking about it. It was big um, from a marketing standpoint. And we were like, okay, if we're going to do it, let's do it the right way. Let's make a watch in America. Did a ton of research and there are almost no watches made in USA. <laughs> um, most watches are made in Switzerland or China at this point, but um, we stumbled on the history of what we call the great American watch companies. And most people don't know that America was the Switzerland of the world from about 1850 to 1950. And back then they were all pocket watches. So there was 10, I call them great American watch companies. Those 10 companies produced over a hundred million pocket watches in America in that hundred years. And, um, you know, back then, like you think, put yourself in 1910, you didn't have a cell phone. Um, the only two ways to tell the time was a pocket watch and a clock. And so instead of a phone, we had pocket watches in our pockets. And that's how we knew what time. If you had to know what time it was, you had a pocket watch. And so there's millions of these things out there. And today, most people scrap pocket watches for the gold and silver of their case, leaving the inside, the movement is what's called the mechanism, the face of it in the hands as scrap. And um, at some point, we, as we're doing that research of, of made in USA and can we make a watch in America, um, we were, we realized if we upcycled these old pocket watches, 
we could make the outside, you know, we can make the case and the crown and all the other, that's the bigger parts. We could totally figure out how to make that. And we could have a hundred percent made in America wristwatch out of these old pocket watches. And we put that idea on Kickstarter in 2014 and we've sold every watch we made since. So, you know, I, sometimes you just get lucky. Um, my dad says, I think about golf typically, I'd rather be lucky than good. And um, sometimes you get a lucky, good idea. Um, and, and that's what we have here. And, and we call it the American Artisan Series. And that's um, currently our, our first and only product. We got all kinds of new products coming this year. But right now we take pocket watches and make them into wrist watches and tell stories on your wrist. That's amazing. Amazing story. I love it. Hey, RT, so you, you've just talked about, you know, you, you, you threw in there. We've got a lot of new innovations coming up. But then even just thinking back on that golf course, you know, you know, you're sitting, you're, you're arguably in the top 10% of the most educated people in the world at that point, ideas are coming at you. Um, but then you kind of honed in on this one because of a passion and, you know, things were happening, you know, that, that made you kind of think about this idea of made in America. Tell me, you know, what is, what is your creative process? If you could think about it. in business in particular, like, like is, do you have a creative process? How do you get these ideas? Do you know how, how you do it? I've, I've heard sometimes that artists, especially like in mu music will say, it just feels like there's a stream of lyrics up above them and they just kind of grab them down, you know, but, but do you have an analogy or how do you come up with ideas? Well, so, um, you know, I love, I love that your company is called mind state. Like I, I think you have to be in the right state of mind. You have to have the right perspective, um, and you have to put yourself in the right situation to even be able to have an idea. Um, and to me, that is removing myself from day to day. Um, the the day to day burden of running a, a company of any kind um, is you you get stuck. You get you get stuck in the lane that you're in, and and you have blinders, and it's hard to to zoom out, get to the thirty thousand foot view, and and try to have a new and different, especially um, big idea. And so um, what I do is I, I leave, I go somewhere else, I go to Scottsdale, Miami, uh, Vegas, you know, somewhere, somewhere that feels big and has big energy. I love Las Vegas, because like at any point in time, when you're sitting there in a casino, billions of dollars are being spent all around you um, on things that they don't need. And they're literally giving the hotels money. And I just I think that that energy um, is so cool. And so when I'm in a place like that and I'm not thinking about my business and the day-to-day -day struggle of making payroll and what watch are we making next and what what's our next thing, when I'm in a different place and I'm in a different mind state, I can, I can access that different part of my brain. And then um, I also have to put myself, I have to like get myself ready for those things. So I have my best ideas and I do my best creative work in the morning. And I'm just, I'm a morning person for other people. It might be very different. Um, and then I have my best ideas after the gym. So ideally I wake up and I go to the gym. I push myself really hard in the gym. I work out and then I, and then I sit somewhere big with great energy like that. And I just write and I just free write or I draw pictures of the thing I'm trying to do or I, I get a, I love whiteboarding. I love just like, just get it out of, of my head and onto a whiteboard. I love flow charts. Like I'm always like designing. <laughs> my assistant thinks I'm crazy. Cause I'm just like, you know, I, I build all these things on a whiteboard and you can't even read my handwriting. And then I'm, I'm like trying to explain 
it's so hard to get from here onto onto paper. And so I start with a whiteboard or I have one of those remarkable tablets. So it feels like a whiteboard, but it's, you know, pen and paper. Um, and are you doing this? Are you doing this consciously? Are you, are you actively trying to come up with new ideas or you just find yourself, they come to you? I mean, are these, like when you said to go, you go to Vegas, are you, are they just coming to you? Or you're like, I'm going to the woods. I'm going somewhere on purpose because I want to come up with a new business idea. Yeah. So, um, great question. I have a lot of random ideas just come to me. Like yeah, even, me even when I'm here, you know, in Colorado, um, again, it's typically like after the gym or even when I'm at the gym. And so I always have my phone on me. And so I use my, um, iPhone notes, just the notes app. Um, and I just throw ideas in there and I, um, I kind of, I basically have this like rule of thumb where if I have the same idea multiple times across multiple days, that means it's probably a good idea. And so I'm like, I write down those ideas as I have them. And I think they're a good idea, but I just, I pretend they don't exist the first time I have them because it's like, uh, you know, like, uh, am, am I in the right mindset? Am I applying that to the right place? And, um, and so I put all those ideas in a notes and then I go back in periodically when I'm looking for new ideas and I access those previous ideas. I'm like, oh man, that was a really good one. Or, oh yeah, I've had that idea two or three times now. Um, and, and I do that. But I have so I have too many ideas. And so to answer your question, it's like when when I'm trying to access new ideas is when I'm doing something new, like we're making a pivot in the business or like right now I'm raising money for Vortic. And so um, I rebuilt our business plan and I'm pitching investors and stuff like that. And so I need to I need to have very creative ideas in a certain um, business line, a certain product line or a certain uh, type of marketing and, um, and so I, I remove myself from day to day and then focus on just that one thing. So, um, most recent example is we're rebuilding, I'm rebuilding our, um, our email marketing journey, like the automated welcome series that people get when they sign up for our email list. Um, I, I built that three years ago and it's amazing. And I love talking, it's the, the best asset I think our business has is, is the email list and this email journey. Um, but it's a little outdated. You know, I made it three years ago and we're a little bit different company now. So I'm going in and, and rewriting a lot of those emails, redesigning them, updating the images. And so um, when I need to have specific ideas about something specific like that, I try to remove myself and then focus on that. Yeah, I love that. I use Miro as a, my mm -hmm. my um, digital whiteboard because it's endless. Miro is great. And I'll just go throw an idea on there. And then later when I come back to, if it still gives me energy, then th that idea might have some legs, but mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I've had some time to sleep. By the way, you've got a free drink waiting for you in Las Vegas. Uh, Bill, our, one of our regular listeners is his hometown is Vegas. So I'd take him up on that. <laughs> I, I get there at least once or twice a year, typically for conferences and stuff. But it's like if I'm going to go go for a conference, I try to get there a little early or stay one extra day and um, just take a day to to think and like apply all the stuff I, I just learned at at a conference. Um, and that's that's also a great way to remove yourself, get into a different state of mind is to go learn from other experts in, in your industry or even some, like a totally different industry. Just hear people talk about. I don't know, real estate. It's like, I have nothing to do with real estate, but like that same idea that they just talked about, about real estate investing, like I can apply that exact concept to the watch industry mm -hmm. and that's revolutionary and that's different. Um, so I love that perspective and that zoom out um, and then getting other people's perspective 
on things. And I think that's why I like the concept of, of masterminds so much is you get a lot of different perspectives at the same time. It's a great segue. Uh, I was going to ask about your mastermind. So your mastermind is your audience are beginning entrepreneurs. Yeah. So we say um, if your business makes less than a million dollars in annual revenue, um, then you're a potentially good candidate for Fast Foundations. But um, Fast Foundations caters to all kinds of entrepreneurs, people with just an idea and they're just getting started, people that um, have a corporate job and um, want want to or are currently working on a side hustle and they want to make that side hustle their full-time thing. Um, I like to say myself as an entrepreneur, I try to stay two years or two steps ahead of the people that I'm trying to bring with me and teach things. And so um, I like to be the kind of, I, I always make a military reference in that. Like I'd like to be the kind of general that like if, if you guys are my officers and we're sitting and we're getting ready for battle, we have these good ideas and then um, we make a plan, we get agreement on the plan. And then like we all, you know, rah, rah, shake hands, whatever, like hype ourselves up. And then you look up and you're like, and I'm gone. I'm already sprinting at the enemy because <laughs> I thought that was the plan. I like to be out front. I like to go. I like to try stuff, fail fast, fail often, fail small, but like try and fail and, and try and fail again. That's how I'm learning. And that's, I think, why I like whiteboards because like I've tried Miro. And like, it feels too permanent. Like I'm making mm -hmm. a box and I get like, how big is this box supposed to be on the screen? And I get so like, I don't know, like analytical about it. That doesn't feel creative. Like I'm just like, just spewing stuff on a whiteboard and I erase it. And, you know, I, I always need way more whiteboard space than they give me because mm -hmm. <laughs> I just like to go. You know, masterminds, I, I think we sometimes take it for granted that we under we all understand what a mastermind is. Now there there are people in my audience that are in corporate America and they have a side hustle or they have a vision, a passion that they want to turn into a business. So can you tell me what is or tell tell the audience actually what is the value of a mastermind? Like what is it? What is the value that somebody gets from from your your mastermind? Would be great to talk about that. Totally, yeah. So um, in general, a, a mastermind is a group of like minded individuals, typically all entrepreneurs that sit down at least once a month, ideally more often, and openly and freely share ideas, concepts, plans, and talk about their businesses in a way that they're accepting of feedback. Um, and so typically one person shares, uh, we call it a hot seat, like in, in the beginning of, of each event that we do, we put one person in front of the room as a hot seat and they sit down and they say, okay, here's my business. Here's what I'm working on. Here's the one thing I think I need the most help on. And then we go around the room and, and give feedback. Um, and we typically say, you know, there's, there's typically a facilitator of a mastermind and that's, that's my role for, for this. Um, for fast foundations. And, you know, if somebody's asking for feedback, I'll typically say, Hey, before people just spew random ideas on you, does anyone in this room have direct, and I mean, direct experience with this question that they just asked. And there's always one. It's crazy. It's that, it's that concept of as the tide rises, all ships rise. That's what I think a mastermind is okay. in general. But it's also that concept of it's all about who you know, and there's only one or two or three connections away. You're always right there to that thing that you need or that person that you need. And so it's crazy. Somebody asks something about, you know, how do I do this very specific thing on social media? Or how do I grow my email list? Or how do I build an email marketing funnel? There's someone like me who's built five different email marketing funnels that's made millions of dollars off of email marketing sitting in the room. 
to you, I just run a watch company. You wouldn't know that. But then you ask about email marketing in front of the room and I raise my hand, I have direct experience and I blow your mind and I say, hey, let's connect afterwards and let me show you my funnel. Um, you, you, <laughs> you, you find these people in these masterminds and you basically, you find friends. And, it, and, and I hate to make it that simple and dumb it down that much, but like, it's lonely being an entrepreneur. And it, they're, like you said, top 10%, like there are not very many humans on the planet whose brains work as weird as, as mine does. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's hard to find other people that run the same size of business as you, that have the same types of problems as you, um, that have the same amount of employees that you do. Um, and so a mastermind puts similar like-minded people in the same room and there's usually an NDA in place or a non-disclosure agreement so everybody can share freely and not worry about someone taking their ideas or ripping them off or anything like that. Everyone's there to truly help each other. And the tide rises. You grow and you find, you find one person that like can be a friend that just actually understands that's been there, that's seen it, that's done the same thing. Yep. And you wouldn't meet that person on the street or in a bar or at a conference, you know, Never how would you meet not that to that person? level of depth? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. You, you know sold what? me. You sold me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I, and I, I'm such a huge proponent of masterminds. Like, yeah. you know, mine's fast foundations, but just like if you're an entrepreneur and you've never been in the room, we call it just get in the room, you know, just yep. get in a mastermind somewhere. Um, and, and anything can be in a mastermind. Like, um, masterminds can be as simple as a Facebook group. You know, if, if you host a Facebook group and you get together once a week, once a month and share ideas and things like that. Um, one of my friends, she just built a mastermind in a Slack group. So she yeah. just has one big Slack and there's, I don't know, a thousand people in it and they're all agency owners and creatives. Um, and people are just sharing. I, I love, I see the, the feed is constant. People are like, Hey, has anyone tried, has anyone tried Miro? You know, what's Miro versus the competitor pros and cons real quick. And like seven people will chime in and say, here's what I use. Great. It's awesome. Right. Like it's hard. You don't have to pay a lot of money. I think being physically in the room and having in-person events is vital to having a real mastermind. In my opinion, I, I think a mastermind that's not in person is not a mastermind. And again, this is my opinion. Yeah. Um, I'm sure somebody will disagree. Um, but I also, I'm an in-person person. person. <laughs> um, I feel like we can go deeper and Steve, you know, it sounds like you're in literally in a room in a cabin with yes. other people, like, you know, right. Yeah. It, the in-person changes the game from a mastermind perspective. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just, it's interesting. I didn't plan it this way, but we're having a conversation about a mastermind while I'm at one and I'm with six right. people and we've been doing it remotely since, I don't know, almost two years. And you know, this has been really an awesome three days that I've been here and we haven't really left the cabin that much. Right. But we're having sessions all day long, but you're right. Sitting there across from someone, you can see the inspiration or the light bulb go on. But the key thing is as an entrepreneur, you're, you mentioned that you're lonesome or you're by yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And most of the time you think, or you feel like you're crazy because you're the only one that talks this way and no one understands. Yep. And then you get into a room with other people that have the same problem. And you realize, wait a minute, I'm not crazy. These are not normal crazy. issues. Yep. 
And these guys have these solutions that I wasn't thinking of. Mm -hmm. And, and you realize like some people that you put on a pedestal that you think are so successful that have billions of dollars and like, they must, they must be different. There's something about them that like, there's no way I can get there. You get in a room with them and they help you. And they, they also believe in, in this as tide rises, all ships rise. And they literally open their P and L and show you how they did it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know what? You're just like me. You're just, you're just two years or two steps ahead. I want to learn from you. How do I learn from that person? Um, plus it's like, exponentially cheaper than you know hiring a, a consultant <laughs> or a consulting company to come in and help yeah. you one-on-one um and i think it's better because now you get like our fast foundations is up to 50 people typically we have 30 or 40 people in the room um that's a really good amount of people because there's like little spin-off groups that happen and and all that kind of stuff but you get lots of different perspectives from people that have never done what you've done before um, but that just honestly, they just ask questions that you've never been asked before. And when they at, when you get a question that you've never been asked before, you you zoom out, right? You're like, whoa, I've, I've never seen it like that before. That's interesting. And then you write it down. And the the problem with going to a mastermind is the day after you leave. So like, you know, tomorrow or the next day, Steve, when you leave, you, you, you're going to have like six pages of notes. You're going to have like 20 different ideas. And so what we always do is um, yeah, we have this exact, exact, it's crazy. They're everywhere. They're just- um, so what we do, and, and maybe this is helpful for what you're doing right now, Steve, um, we do a, an exercise called the one thing. And we go down and we, we just brainstorm and we take one sheet of paper and we write every single idea and project that I want to do next coming out of this mastermind. It's like, okay, I need to redo my email journey. I need to figure out what an email journey is. <laughs> you know, I got I to gotta rewrite my welcome series, right? whatever. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list a hundred things. And then we say, okay, circle the top 10. Okay, cross out five of those. Okay, cross out two more of those. Get to one thing. Like I'm going to leave this mastermind and I'm going to execute this one thing before I do anything else, before I tap back into reality, before I start my my job again, especially if you have a side hustle and you're going back to a corporate job. I'm going to execute this one thing before I do anything. I might even do it before I leave. We encourage that. Like, hey, sit in, try to book one extra day in the hotel or even just a few hours in the airport on your way home and execute that one thing that you said you were going to do and then go look at your list again and figure out what's the next priority. Mm-hmm. Um, that one thing exercise, we get a lot of really good feedback on because um, you actually get an, an instant result yeah. from the event. Hey, RT. Um you know, I get I get asked this question quite a bit, and I'm, I want to pose it to you a, a little bit because you work with early stage founders, people who just have an idea. They may, may not, they may not even have a side hustle, right? But people ask me, "What's your advice for building a business?" And I hear the same advice all the time. Well, it's either you're going to find a need in the marketplace. Oh, that there's a need, there's a gap in the marketplace, or solve your own problem. I have a problem. I hated that problem, so I solved it. I look at the world a little bit differently. And, and the reason why I bring this up to you is you've used the word passion quite a few times. What I tell my students and people who ask me this is first, find a passion, whatever that passion is. If it's cats, if it's fishing, if it's engineering, whatever that passion is. Yep. Then I say, go find another passion. I don't care what it is. If it's knitting, if it's artificial intelligence, if it's whiskey. And if you can marry two passions, force them in today's world with technology, with 
masterminds, you can monetize anything. I really believe that yep. you can monetize your thinking. So if it's cats and whiskey, damn it, you will make a cat flavored whiskey or you'll make whiskey for cats. I don't know what it is. <laughs> cat flavored you can whiskey. Do it. Right. Let's do it. So, <laughs> so I always say why that's so important is, you know, you just said the entrepreneurial journey is really tough. It's yep. tough. And we all from the outside look really like we got it together. We show, we show on Instagrams that we're in Park Cities, you know, with other masterminds. <laughs> we're, in, we're in Mexico. We're not jealous, are we? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe a little. Park City is pretty awesome. And they have it a ton of snow awesome. right now. So that's it awesome. awesome. You know, it's, <laughs> so, it's a, what I think when you have passions, it puts you over those humps. There's going to be times when you're going to get beat up and in, in you will get beat up in the entrepreneurial journey. So I always talk about if you can marry two passions, you will get over those, those humps. The mm -hmm. days where you can't pay yourself, the days where somebody lies to you and they take money from you, all those things that happen on the entrepreneurial journey. Yep. So my question, I guess, to you is you have these people who are coming to you with an idea. Do you, how, if at all, do you bring in this idea of their passion, bringing that to life? And, 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 and if they don't really know, do you know how to help somebody find their passion in any way? Like how do you integrate passion, their passion into building their business? Yeah. Oh gosh. I love this question. It's so, it's so difficult because for me, I am really passionate about a lot of things mm -hmm. and it's always hard for me to figure out what am I going to do today? Cause I'm, I'm like, I have to almost like rate my level of passion for the things that I'm doing. And I, I end up putting a lot more time and effort into the things that I am more passionate about. So I, I think about this a lot and it's when, when Tyler and I started Vortic, we we talked about um, we talked about some of this stuff, but now looking back, you know, ten years later, we we, we sometimes ask ourselves, um, and people ask us on podcasts like this, like, would you do it again? Um, and typically, the answer is no. <laughs> it's just, you have to be a certain level of crazy mm -hmm. to be an entrepreneur. But I think passion is what, like you said, passion is what keeps you driving through and you push through uh the hard stuff and that's why other people perceive you as crazy because they're like why you know you know you, you don't even seem phased by that and it's like well i'm just so passionate about this thing i'm going to do it no matter how much it hurts mm -hmm. um and to help other people find their passion i would start with core values so i did this at a at a recent um mastermind uh gosh it was fast foundations in denver uh, probably a year, maybe a year and a half ago, um, I, I I worked the room through um, determining your core values. Mm -hmm. What do you stand for as a human? And it's as simple as like finding five words that you really resonate with and then applying those five words to the ideas that you have in order to figure out why you're passionate about those things. And, um, and the exercise I actually learned it in couples counseling with my girlfriend. Um, and if you've never done therapy, <laughs> let me just advertise therapy for a second. Talk therapy. I mean, any form of therapy is great. Even just getting outside, taking a walk in nature, but like sitting down with a professional therapist, um, was amazing for me personally. Um, amazing for me as, as a father, um, and amazing for me as a partner and amazing for, uh, for me and Lindsay as a partnership. And, um, one of the things that, that I really took away from that is we worked 
through our core values and determined Lindsay's core values and my core values and figured out if we meshed. And we, before we started, we said, Hey, if this doesn't, if our, if my core values are over here and yours are over here, maybe this isn't meant to be. Thankfully, they were very well aligned <laughs> and we're meant for each other. And, you know, we have kids together and, it's, and, and everything's great. Um, but I think everything's great now because we talked it out and we did this kind of work. So, for instance, my core values uh, and I put them in order. That's that's it's kind of like the one thing exercise where it's like make your list and then prioritize them. Uh, number one is respect. Number two is integrity. Number three is empathy. Number four is freedom. And number five is wealth. To me, um, when I first wrote that list, and you, the way you do it is you, you start with a list of 100 words that are all core values, and you circle the ones that you like, and then you narrow it down, and then you prioritize it, and then you talk about it. That's very important. You got to talk about it with someone you love, someone you respect, and also people that kind of know you and like, see, do I, does this make sense? You know, get somebody to bounce back. Um, but once you know your core values, then you can make decisions based on it. So for me, my number one core value is respect. I want to be respected. And the best way to be respected is to earn it. And so I like to earn it every day by showing up as a good entrepreneur, a good father, a good partner, a good business partner, a good leader, um, just a good human. Um, and and I, I like nice things. I, I like to build things. I like, you know, my Zoom background is professional for a reason. I want you to ask me questions. Every time somebody asks you a question, that's a sign of respect. So um, I look at all those ideas that I'm passionate about to get back to your question and I apply like if I do this, if I merge, like you said, if I take cats and whiskey and I build a business out of that and I'm passionate about those two things, when I do that, is it going to bring me joy because I'm getting after and I'm working towards one of my core values, values and yeah. everything, everything that I stand for is written into those things. Um, and that's, I think applying that lens of core mm -hmm. values and what you stand for and why you're on planet earth, I think is, is key to figuring out not even what you're passionate about, but more likely why you're passionate about those things. I think that that's a really important everybody's all it's sexy to say i'm gonna start a business or mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gonna be an entrepreneur but then it's going to you're asking to be measured on the most competitive field in yeah. the world mm -hmm. and and there's no you're competing with the best yep. wherever you show up and you're asking i want to be measured well that's going to be hard and mm -hmm. i think this thing like uh, this makes me happy well I'm, i think it there's a fulfillment in overcoming all the kicks in the shin that you're going to have yeah. unexpected. You just thought you got out of the woods, you brushed off you. Whoa, I'm glad that's over. You turn around and bam, right, right in the, the face, face again. Right. <laughs> and it's like, why would I keep doing that? And it, because there's something in you, that core value conversation needs to be present for you to have the energy to just keep on going. Yeah. And if it doesn't exist, if you're here because it makes me happy or everyone on Instagram looks like they're having fun, maybe I should do that. Or I don't like working for this person. I think I want to go do this. This is real life. And if you don't have your priorities squared away, then you're not going to make it through all the hard stuff. And it's mostly sure. hard. It's yep. mostly hard. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, just real example, um, people have asked why I do it, like why I work so hard, why I spend my entire life trying to build a, a watch company. Why am I taking on Rolex? Why are you doing that? That's crazy. Um, and it's not for the money. And I realized that um, when I did the core values, like, yeah, um, I mean, you guys know running a marketing agency, um, running a luxury wristwatch manufacturing company, there's a ton of revenue and profit to be had out there for, for all of us in, in all forms of entrepreneurship. And those are the headlines we see all the time. You know, um, Elon Musk just got overtaken by the Arnault family from LVMH for the you know richest people in the world and all this stuff. Like that's what people are talking about. But when it comes down to it, why am I working so hard if I'm not paying myself? You know, mm -hmm. for the first five, six years, I wasn't making a dime. Mm -hmm. um, and and I somebody asked me why. And then I started asking myself why. And like, yeah, money's nice. Um, but one of the potential core values on that list was the word money. Um, I relate to the other word that I use in my core values, which is the word wealth. Um, and wealth is my fifth core value. It's last on the list. I think if I run a business and I'm respected and people love me and they love my brand and they love what I stand for and they want to be close to me and they respect me, it's because I did those four other things correctly. I, I am in integrity. I have empathy for others. Um, I'm working towards freedom. Everything I do is, is with freedom, right? I mean, American made, it's like the definition of like uh, the American dream is freedom. That's what I like to talk about. And then wealth will just happen. And wealth isn't money. Wealth, I, to me, is kind of this cool mix of cash in the bank and freedom of time. And um, to me, all of that stuff, when you add it up, is a legacy. And that's really what I'm working towards. And the legacy that I'm building is the American dream. And I, I have this. Let me reach out. Um, I have this. So I was at a mastermind. Uh, you guys know Lewis Howes, the Summit of Greatness, uh, School of Greatness. Mm -hmm. Lewis and somebody, some really famous person said this at some point, and it's probably hard to read it. But this says, the true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit. And that is legacy, right? And I grew up on a Christmas tree farm. So you tell me a quote about trees and I'm in, baby. <laughs> um, but that's it. Like how, how can we, if, if I want to build a legacy for my sons, I have two little boys, they're about to be four and six. If I want to build a legacy for my sons, then I have to live those core values every single day. It's not just about money. It's never was. Um, that's a nice to have. I have to have respect. I have to act in integrity. I have to have empathy for others. So I can build freedom and wealth. We got a good question here. Going back to that mastermind, the one thing exercise, how do they hold themselves accountable for that one idea? Oh, great question. Yeah. Um, Self-accountability is one of the hardest things in the world, especially if you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> it's so we have all these ideas. We have all these things. Um, I do not like to try to hold myself accountable. That is very difficult. Um, so we have accountability buddies or um, we partner you with someone else um, and we go around. So the, the finish to that exercise, when you do the exercise in a mastermind, you can do it in a group as small as six. We do it in a group as big as 30, 40, 50. Um, after you pick your one thing, 
you go around the room, everybody passes the microphone around and we have one, the facilitator, somebody else in the room writes down every single person's one thing. And then we follow up with you. Either the, either the facilitator or your accountability partner, your accountability buddy personally follows up with you when you say you want it. So it's not, it's not enough to set a goal. It's not enough to say you want to do this one thing to have a true goal. It needs to be metricable and have a time limit on it. So you have to say, like, instead of saying, I'm going to rebuild the email journey for Vortic Watch Company. Okay, what does that mean? Well, there's 20 emails in the journey. So I'm going to rewrite and edit and update 20 emails in my software. It's called Clavio that we use. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to redo all those emails. Um, and I'm going to send them to my accountability buddy by June 1st. Mm. Now you have a goal. Now you have a specific goal. It's 20. It's not 19. I can't stop at 19 and then send 19. That, that person's going to be like, hey, you said there was 20. Where's, where's number 20? And if I don't do it by June 1st, I get a call every 24 hours until I figure it out. And they'll be so annoying that I just have to do it. Or, or I have to justify why I didn't do it. So it's like, hey, I, I, I actually did this instead. Let me, let me send you this. Um, uh, and, and that accountability buddy is clutch. I think that's, I mean, that's why you do a mastermind. Um, and it's all, it's all included. And typically that person becomes a really good friend because you're, you're holding each other accountable. Battle, you're in a battle together. Yep, yep exactly. Your wingman. Uh, my, yeah. my my sons are obsessed with uh, with Top Gun right now. We, I think I've watched the new Top Gun movie like twenty times <laughs> in the last like three weeks. It's crazy. I showed it to him once, and I I think it was like one of the best movies ever made. So like I'm just a huge fan. Um, and they just they now it's just on in the background all the time. We're playing Legos and hanging out at the house. It's awesome. Well, Steve, I'm sitting here looking at like another seven questions, but I mean, our time, I can't believe mm -hmm. an hour has gone by so fast. It's, it's it has. So, um, RT, I'm curious of what's one question you might want to ask Will. Oh. <laughs> yeah. In the hot seat. I like him in the hot seat. I don't like to be in the hot seat. Well, I'll, I'll try to, um, I'll try to give you a, a softball. A softball, yeah. Um, so when you ask me about how do you help people find find their passion um what from a behavioral science standpoint um how do you how does the brain work like why why am i passionate about something from like a science <laughs> perspective yeah. um why why do i get so passionate like is is it nurture nature like why am i so passionate about these things Good question. Uh, there's, there, I would say there's probably lots of different viewpoints, whether we could talk neuroscience or psychology. I'll focus more on psychology. So imagine your life is this, we, we don't have to imagine it. It is a journey. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't know this, everyone out there should know this because it works for marketing. And I use this as a marketing model, but I tell Steve all the time, I have a marketing model based upon the psychological mind state, but it's really it's a behavioral science model that I apply to marketing because that's the world I lived in for 20 years. Every behavior you have, every single behavior outside of a reflex action, I touch fire, I pull back, right? Mm. Somebody's in danger, I react. But every other behavior is actually towards what's called a goal. So goal theory states that the distance between where you are today versus where you, where you want to go, a better version of yourself is a goal. Mm. 
-hmm. What you do, whether you know it or not, is as you're reacting to life, your brain is constantly thinking about how do I improve my situation? I can avoid bad things to improve my situation or I can go towards good things. Cool. So the reason why you're passionate about anything is that, and most of these things are non-conscious, by the way, that you have an aspiration. Your mind in the subconscious sees a better version of yourself. It could be your body. Hey, I want to look better. Um, It could be being a father. There's all sorts of different aspirations you have. There's called aspirational goals. When you are passionate about something, what, what that really means is that your conscious mind starts to realize that you're drifting farther away from one of those aspirational goals, usually at the subconscious level. So when you feel a little bit of tension, like, man, I could be better. That's oftentimes your brain recognizing that you didn't go towards one of your aspirational goals. Or when you get passionate, same thing, your mind is getting excited Hmm. that you're moving towards a passion, uh, uh, towards an aspirational goal. So passion, honestly, is you get passion because you, there's a distance between where you are today and some sort of an aspirational goal. So when you feel yourself excited, Steve, you know where I'm going, emotional arousal. (laughs) When you feel emotional arousal, whether it's excitement or fear or whatever, almost always, 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 you should look at that as this is an opportunity for me to recognize that I'm not reaching an aspirational goal. That passion or that fear Mm. is that you failed to get closer to an aspirational goal. Now your hard part works. It's like, okay, so what is that aspirational goal? And it's it's funny because your masterminds are kind of doing it. Like to find an aspirational goal, what you do in marketing and you do it in real life, you say, what's important to me? You write a whole bunch of different things. And you say, okay, collectively, why is that important to me? And you may ladder that up to something. Well, you know, these things are important to me because I want to, it would make me a better father. Okay, cool. Why is being a better father important to you? That's your aspirational goal. Because I believe that our future needs to have a legacy to make sure that the people below me have the shade that they require so they can be their best version of themselves. That's your aspirational goal. So when you feel tension, when you're not, when you feel fear of maybe you did the wrong thing as a father, or you're like, I mean, I'm, 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 I want to coach. I want to be a coach to my boy's T-ball. What that really is, it's not because you really want to be a coach to your, to your kid's T-ball league. What it really is, is that you believe that by being a coach, you can reach that aspirational goal. Yeah. That becomes a passion. And if you do that, it makes you feel good. Coaching will become your new passion. And then you go build a business around coaching. That's awesome. I love that. We, we got to do a whole nother podcast interview you, you now, cause I have like seven other questions for you. Um, <laughs> I'd be happy to do that with you. I'd be it's, happy to it's, do that. it's cool. Cause like back to that question that you asked about, like how, how does somebody, how do you help somebody find their passion? Um, I, I remember the last time and thinking about Top Gun <laughs> made me think of this. The last time that I talked through that, um, it's all about nostalgia and that nostalgic feeling like why do i feel emotional watching the planes take off an aircraft carrier i have nothing to do with the military i've never yep. been on an aircraft carrier um but for some reason i i tear up when i watch those videos of veterans coming home and seeing their family for the first time mm-hmm. that is nostalgia and i'm accessing something back some you know decades ago and I'm for some reason super passionate about that. So I said, what makes you emotional? What makes you tear up when you're watching a movie, when you're watching an advertisement? What are the things that really get you? And then like you said, I love that. Take the two things that really get you, put them together, you know? And for me, I don't know, it's um, it's probably American made and, and marketing. Um, yeah. and, and I happen to run a watch company and I do those things. So agency, um, and that's why you're so happy, right? You have a watch I, company and you have an agency and you're smiling every day and you're yeah, not super fun. bad about life. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, 
RT, you've been a great guest. You don't have a, a cat whiskey on the shelf behind you, do you? I don't. No, I, I'm not a cat. I think I'm allergic to cats, actually. There, um, you go. there are hundreds of millions of cats out there that are just dying for a lick of whiskey. Is <laughs> <my> something <laughs> behind me. <laughs> just throwing out ideas, everybody. Throwing out ideas. RT, excellent. Uh, great conversation. We loved having you on here. If folks are um, want to contact with you, what's the best way to reach out? Yeah, I you know personally I use Instagram for for most all like casual conversations. So I, on Instagram I'm just RT Custer, my name without the periods or spaces. So RT Custer on Instagram, um, and I'm RT at VortecWatches.com if you want to send me an email. Email and um, and Instagram are the best for me. And then uh, you can find everything about our our watches at VortecWatches.com. Love it. And fastfoundations.com is your mastermind. Those are my things. That's reach, it. Reach out. Check William. Out. William, same question for you. Yep. Hey, you guys, if you want to understand behavioral psychology, why do we do the things that we do and how do we use those insights to make better products, experiences, or maybe even marketing? <laughs> maybe you like to do that. Hey, you should go to mindstategroup.com. Here's what I do. I have a whole bunch of big red buttons that Steve put all over my website. What that allows you to do is schedule time with me. I love the world of advertising. I will look at your advertising through the lens of neuroscience and behavioral psychology just to help you give you a couple little tweaks onto your messaging, some of your visuals to maybe create you know, a little extra um, oomph and, and, and a little bump in your marketing results. So if you like behavioral psychology, want to learn more about it, go to mindstategroup.com. And uh, you can learn more about that or just buy the book, Marketing to Mind States. You can always do that and learn a little bit more about the science behind emotional marketing, the real science behind emotional marketing. Will, is that is that free? I'm on your site right now. Can I book time with you for free? You can. All right. I'm going to see you next week. Excellent. I like it. <laughs> you got your, your first free, free consult customer. Um, that's, that's, that's awesome. I appreciate <laughs> you for doing that. Certainly the, the, the first watchmaker for sure. <laughs> no, it's fun. I just love, I love the way your brain works. I love the way you answered that question and I want to, I want you to take a look at my marketing. It's cool. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. I'd, I'd be happy to. I'd love it. It's another great episode of the Mind State Marketing Hour. It's the number one rated behavioral science podcast, is it not? It is. 2002. Best podcast out there. Voted best, best podcast in behavioral marketing. Yes. Yeah. We don't just say it. We uh, we walk the walk. Back it up by trophies back there. Back there. there. Yep. <laughs> All right, we're rolling the outro. Did you know this is a podcast that you can listen to while you drive, you work out, while you cook dinner, take a shower, Buzzsprout, all those places. And if you like to watch, be sure to subscribe on our YouTube channel, share it with your friends, and we'll see you again. RT, thanks for being here. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Will. This was fun. Thanks again for listening to the Mind State Marketing Hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you stay up to date with each episode. And please share this podcast with others who could benefit from hearing Will's insights on all things marketing. Each episode has supporting information in the book, Marketing to Mind States. And for more information, visit us at mindstategroup.com.